sometime in, in the recent past, my dad and I were having a conversation about something. Actually, that something was a particular issue of conflict, not between he and I, but uh, just conflict with somebody else in my life, um, an issue. I think it was probably related to a church or leadership in a church or something. And I was talking to my dad about it, and I began to notice sort of the strange um, things began to happen to me physiologically like as I began to talk. And I began to notice that um, my, uh, sort of I, I could almost feel my blood pressure rising up a little bit you know, when I began to talk about this conflict. And I could almost hear my voice get a little bit shaky, you know, and I just sort of began to feel this. Well, at the time I didn't realize it, but later on it was fear sort of began to kind of wash over me, you know, and I, I could almost sense sort of this foreboding sense of, of something that was there, something that was not good that was coming, you know. And at the time I remember thinking, I, I didn't anticipate it. I just, it was the most random thing out of nowhere talking about this and began to feel this, physiological response, and it reminded me of, um, of a summer nearly 20 years ago, actually 20 years ago this past summer when I was a counselor at a camp. It reminded me of the Twin Lakes Campground Nature Room. Uh, and if you're ever at, in, in central Mississippi, you can go visit Twin Lakes Camp. And um, part of there, and I was a counselor there for this particular summer, you know, so it was a week-long camp, and but they would have different kids for a week all summer long, and I was a counselor there. And part of the it was a Christian camp, and part of the camp was the nature room, and inside the nature room was a bunch of different terrariums and aquariums and cages, and what would happen is throughout the summer, the camp staff, whenever they would find, you know, a particular little wild, small wild animal of some kind, they would catch it and put it in the nature room just so all the campers could come in and, um, and see, you know, the different things. So, you know, we had box turtles and terrapins and you know, maybe a chipmunk or two and a, and a variety of lizards. And we also had snakes, um, a lot of king snakes in central Mississippi and, and some other kinds, a little green grass snake about that long. Um, and I remember, I, I didn't realize it, but I, I discovered very quickly that I had a fear of snakes because this same reaction would come across me whenever I would go into the nature room and I would approach one of these snakes. So it's so like early in the summer when I'm there, you know, like if, if, the, if the terrariums are here, I'm just kind of watching from way back here, thinking about how, you know, there's snakes in there and I'm not going to get close. But for some reason, that summer I really wanted to, I wanted to sort of confront my fear and deal with that. I didn't want to be afraid of snakes. So what, what I would do is over the course of, you know, the next several weeks, I would sort of force myself to get a little bit closer to the terrariums. You know, the next day I would sort of, you know, take a few steps farther and watch, and there would be the snakes slithering around, and that'd be good. And I could feel my, my heart rate accelerating and blood pressure going up, and I could feel that adrenaline beginning to come in. I was like, okay, it's enough for me. You know, and like three days later I would come in, and I would get a little bit closer to it, and, you know, one day, like, the snakes would, like, begin to slither away, and I would run out of the room screaming and crying. And yeah. um, Eventually, though, by the end of the summer, I, I, I had sort of confronted that enough where... Not only could I be near the snakes, I could also actually reach in and, with a degree of success, pick one up and hold one. And, to my astonishment, actually could enjoy it. You know, I remember holding the king snake as it would go around, and there was still the adrenaline. There was still sort of that elevated blood pressure, and, you know, and, and I just remember the, the first time I got to hold Mr. Squiggly, it was so amazing. <laughs> 
That was his name. He was a green grass snake about that long and about the width of a pencil. And he just would ripe all over you. And it was just, it was the best. And sort of for the final four weeks, I loved to be in the snake room. Now, somehow all that fell away because now I still have sort of this visceral reaction to being around snakes, not so much, you know, but um, that, that's always stood out in my mind as sort of being, you know, the, the, a real expression of a fear that I had. And I know many of us, we, we laugh about it, you know, well, we have a fear of heights or fear of crowded places and, you know, fear of whatever. And, you know, some of those are just preferences, some of those are legitimate, real legitimate sort of clinical pathological things that we just lose the ability to deal with, right? Um, so here, here's, here's where this ties in. Christmas season, we're starting Christmas season, it's you know, just a few weeks away. Um, I find that the Christmas season doesn't really abolish any of the fears that we seem to have. In fact, I find that the opposite is true, is that often the Christmas season sort of accelerates or compounds or um, aggravates those particular fears that we might have. Not of snakes, fortunately, Christmas is not a big snake season, but other real fears, for example, like um, some of us have fear of choosing, fear of making choices, fear of making commitments, specifically like gifts. Um, Some of us really have a hard time choosing the right thing for people. Uh, in our minds, we're thinking, okay, what if, what, if this, what if they don't like this? You know, and what if, you know, what if it doesn't fit? Or what if it's the wrong color? And there's all these other choices I'm afraid I, may, may, I might make the wrong choice. Um, or even a little bit more serious is a fear of sort of being financially overwhelmed this time of the year. You know, and if, if, if you're maybe a single mom, for example, there is that very legitimate sense of what if I can't give my kids the Christmas that I want to this year? You know, time is ticking away. It's like now the, whatever, the 10th or 11th or 12th. I only have so much time and there's no money in my account. What, what if Christmas Eve gets here and I just don't have it? That's a legitimate fear for, very, for a lot of people, for maybe for some of us, even for moms and dads together who are working hard. Um, you know, I, I think of others where there's a, there's a real fear of being alone at Christmas time. You know, and I think about my grandmother. She's passed away now, but... Uh, back nearly 20, 25 years ago, um, two days before Christmas, my grandfather was, he was shot. He was robbed and killed at gunpoint um, two days before Christmas. Got, you know, and I was eight or 10 at the time, whatever. And it was just, it was, it was just astounding. Nobody ever obviously saw this coming just out of nowhere. Um, just horrible. And, and of course, my grandmother sort of from that time on, there was sort of this association of Christmas time with the death of her husband and the sense of being alone. She, she always really struggled with it, you know. And if, you know, think about, think about health and, and for those that have chronic sicknesses or illness and Christmas is a reminder that, wow, this is, time is not guaranteed, you know. These, the, these seasons are not guaranteed at all. Um, it's a reminder that, that things can easily be lost. So, Y'all, y'all depressed yet? <laughs> yeah. So here, here's what I love about, well, here's what I love about, here's what I love about the Christmas story, okay? So if we step back from it, you know, and all of the sort of the commercialism and the, the, the romance that we've placed upon it, and we really step back and look at the biblical story of Christmas, it is extraordinarily human. 
It is extraordinarily human. It is full of brokenness. It is full of fear. In fact, we're going to look at that sort of in the next few weeks as sort of these different, um, these different episodes, these different encounters that are just laden with fear. And if we're really honest, we're thankful. We're thankful that the, the writers, that the Holy Spirit through these people were, were honest enough to say that, you know, even in our best holidays, we're still a broken mess. We still are just sort of overwhelmed with fear at times, you know, and God knows that and God steps into that. I saw this meme. I don't usually quote memes. I saw one on Facebook. I loved it. I don't know who said it. Maybe it was one of you or somebody else, but it said, you know, it's basically, it's talking about Christmas. It said, you know, God, God wanted to experience our mess before he fixed it. Maybe I got the quote wrong, but that's the, that's the basic idea of Christmas. Is God, Jesus, and the, God and the person of Jesus wanted to experience this brokenness that we call life. And as he's doing that, he's going to come in and fix it. You know, so here's the message. Whatever, whatever you're facing, God is the answer. Now, I'll admit that does sound, that sounds trite. That sounds trivial. That sounds cliche. Bear with me, though, and just take that at face value. Whatever fears you and I are facing now or in the days to come, God is the answer for those. So can we look at four of those in the next four weeks and sort of you know, maybe just sort of take a breath and say, hey, it all ain't merry at Christmas time sometimes. I don't want to depress you, but I do want to be honest and say, look, that's kind of where I am right now, you know. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 1. Can you guys see over me, or do I need to move out of the way? All right, nobody's complaining, so I'm staying put. All right, Luke 1 is where we're going to be. And all that talking, I didn't even turn to the right place. I can't do two things at once. Matthew, where's Luke? Matthew... Mark, Luke. It's, in, it's after two Corinthians. I'm just kidding. Okay, so this is in Luke. Let's uh, let's just begin reading um, in 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 verse five through seven. It's on the screen behind too. It says, "In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah." His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. On Netflix, you can go and you can watch, I believe, all four Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all made sort of by the same filmmaker, um, and that's the title of them, if you just Google Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are by far one of the best word-for-word sort of enactments or dramatizations of the Bible. I was, watching, I, was re, I was watching, sort of like you were listening, Brian, I was watching through the Gospel of Luke last night when I was putting Cohen down on my phone, just watching it. It's beautiful. It's just, you know, the, to me, they're getting everything right. First of all, the fact that Jesus isn't white it's wonderful to see Jesus actually being a Middle Eastern man. Who would have thought, right? That's what they had. And Jesus looked, he actually looked like, wow, he looked kind of Jewish and Palestinian and Middle Eastern and, 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 and all the people sort of were that same way. I was like, finally, we get, we're getting this right. And this story in particular was just beautiful. And it was a picture of Zechariah, the priest, encountering God in, this, in, this, in, sort of, in the story that we're about to see. But they introduced us to Zechariah. 
So we know right off that there is a husband and wife. It says that they are, that, that Zechariah is a priest, but it also says this. Um, he belonged to the priestly division of, of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, listen to this, was also a descendant of Aaron. What do we know about the descendants of Aaron? They are what? They are of the priesthood. So even though she is a female, she technically is not allowed to be a priest. Nevertheless, the Bible makes it clear she is right there with her husband. She is the same lineage. She is standing beside him. Not only that, not only are they priests before the Lord, it says this, both of them, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. You know, in, in our culture, a lot, of, a lot of critics of the Bible sort of lob this attack at the Bible as it being this sort of patriarchal, oppressive, you know, misogynistic kind of book. And I love how like right away, right away in, in sort of these first few, few verses, the writer is, is suggesting the opposite. He's suggesting that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are in this equal standing before God. Although Zechariah is the one who has the role of priest, his wife is right there with him. And I, I, I look and I, I, I feel the same way about my wife, you know, that like she is sort of, she's the stronger of us, you know, in ministry. And I look around and the same for, for, for so many of you guys is that you're, you're equally yoked. You're paired with someone who is just standing and, and ministering beside of you. You know, so both of, the, both of them are priests. Both are, are upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They're holy in character. And verse, uh, verse 7 says this, but, that's, that's a big word right there, but they had no children. And I can almost stop and just think about that, sort of those two things in, 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 in contrast. You know, when we're doing all the right things, but we're still lacking something. When we're still following God, but we're still empty in this other part. But. God, I'm doing all the right stuff, but I'm still not totally satisfied. God, I, I, I'm serving you. I'm, I'm leading my family in the way of righteousness, but I'm still struggling in these areas. God, I'm giving everything to you, but I'm still lacking. God, I am tithing and, and being generous, but I still don't have enough. Whatever that is, this is where they are. Following God, but something is still not right. Sounds familiar to me. That's where I've been in many parts of my life. So, let's talk about fear again. Is it possible that we could even say, at this point, Zechariah might have some latent fear? I bet he does. This, this particular thing is a little close to home. Meg and I, we've been married since 2000. And for, for a long time, we just dealing with infertility. We just could not figure out why could we not have a child. By the grace of God, he brought Emma along. By the grace of God, he brought Josie along, both of those through adoption. But that whole time, sort of the word, there's sort of still this nagging sense of, yet why? Why are we not able to sort of home grow some of our own, you know? And I think that for, for Zechariah, there was this fear of growing up and getting to the end of his life without having children. I know that's the case. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. So what is, what is his fear? I, I think it's this. I think it's a fear of unanswered prayer. Or you could say the fear of lost hope. 
Because think about what a child represents for Zechariah. Think about what a child represents for any person in the first century uh, Jewish culture. Not only is it, is it just you know, the, the sheer joy of having a, a child, which is amazing most days, right? Most days it is. Some days it's less joy than others. But in a broad stroke, children are a blessing. In a broad stroke, we love and adore our children and they lift us up and they, they, they make us better people. We just love them. I love all of my kids from the oldest to the youngest. You know, there's, it's, it's family. It's companionship. It's somebody to comfort me in my old age. It's somebody to, you know, push me around. In the, by the way, it's you. Push me around in the wheelchair, you know? You know, and yeah, just wipe, wipe the drool. In the nursing, wipe the drool off my face and run, get things for me. It's, it's, fulf- it's, it's, it's fulfilling a need in my life. Josie's job. That's it. That's right. Well, you'll get a job in support then. You'll, you'll pay the bill for that. So on, on, on the one level, this need for a child is, is just perfectly normal. But in, in his culture, there's also another, another level where a child means legacy. It means my family name is being passed on. We don't, we don't care so much about that in, in here in 21st century America. In Zechariah's day, that was everything. The thought of your family name, of the tree of Zechariah not having any branches was heartbreaking, terrifying. Especially if you're in the office of the priesthood. Your delight, your joy of all joys is to continue on the name and the office of being a priest in the presence of the Lord. And with each passing year, this hope of His is fading out. He's been praying season after season after season with his wife, crying out to the Lord, seeking after the Lord, offering sacrifices, fasting day after day after day, praying and seeking and nothing. No answer. Nothing. Just closed doors. And those months turn into years, and those years turn into decades. And now the season of that is gone. The season is not approaching the Bible says that she is advanced in years. She is, this is, they are sort of beyond this time. You know, so I, there's something about the Christmas season, though, that reminds us, it reminds people of just sort of these unanswered prayers of what's missing. Several, several years ago, in New Jersey, this guy was out in the water fishing or whatever, boating or something, and he sees this sort of plastic bag floating, pulls it in, thinking it's trash, opens it up, and there's thousands of these just handwritten letters inside, sealed inside this plastic bag. Opens it up, and many of them are, are, are sealed, um, and, and many of them are opened. And um, he alerts the authorities, and the authorities come in, and they, they realize that what this is, were, these were some several hundred, thousands of letters that had been mailed to a local pastor, to a well-known, established local pastor in the community. And he had recently passed away. And I guess the, the estate had been cleared out and all these letters, unopened letters in his, in his office had somehow made their way into the trash and somehow gotten in the water instead. And, um, and, and as the story goes, many of and the contents, of course, were, were there to be read. Many of them were open. And some, of course, were, were very frivolous. They were all letters... Um, letters to God and just petitions to God. So apparently this pastor had done this. And some were very frivolous requests. Like one, one man wrote and said, Dear God, I, I pray that you'll let me win the lottery twice. 
let me win it once and that way I can take care of some debt, but after that, let me win it again, right? Or somebody would wrote and say, you know, Lord, let such, such and such team make the playoffs this year, whatever. Um, but some of the letters were, were, were deeply heartbreaking. There'd be letters from spouses crying out to God on behalf of a wayward husband or an addicted wife. There would be letters from widows who were grieving and aching. One was a letter from a young girl who wrote and she's in, in something to the effect of, you know, God, several, several years ago, I got pregnant and I took my baby's life by abortion. And I know up there in heaven somewhere, you have a little girl and I'm very, very sorry. Please forgive me for what I've done. Letter after letter of those kind of things. Just floating in the water, unanswered. So here's a difficult question. Why doesn't God answer why doesn't God answer my prayer? Why doesn't God fix what needs to be fixed? I think there are three possible reasons. The first is simply he doesn't hear. God is not listening. Logically, that's probably a possibility. Several years ago, uh, Time Magazine, this was during the 2008-2009 financial crisis, you know, when banks were going bust and people were losing their homes and the, the economy seemed to be in chaos. Time Magazine came to Philip Yancey, who was a well-known Christian author, and they said, uh, Mr. Yancey, how, how do we pray at a time like this? What do we say that will make him hear? Of course, Yancey didn't have an answer for that. There's nothing. There's nothing that we can say that's going to make him hear. But that's the feeling. The feeling is that God, God's not listening. God isn't here. And of course, I've, I've felt that way at times about things that I've been praying for. In recent seasons, Meg and I have felt that way. We feel like we're saying the same things again and again and again. And God just simply isn't listening. Or, option number two, he does hear, but he doesn't really care. Is that possible? God's not interested in, 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 in doing this. He's, he's, he just simply doesn't want to help. He hears, he can, but he won't. And maybe, of us, maybe, maybe some of us sort of feel like that it's guilt from the past that, that, that causes that. It's like it's, it's, a, it's a blockage that's there. I've done so much in the past, I've done so many things wrong, that now I've you know, I, I've, I've kind of wasted all of my, you know, get out of jail free cards with, with the Lord. God's not interested. I, I've blown it one too many times. The story is told of a woman who went to her pastor and she claimed that she could hear God's voice specifically. She could talk to God and God would, would, would sort of respond and she could hear God's voice. So she goes to her pastor. And she begins to talk to her, you know, explain this to her pastor. Her pastor is very skeptical. He doesn't really believe that, that, that those kind of things happen. I know many of you hear God's voice. This, this is not abnormal for you and for you and I. But at the time, the pastor said, I, I'm not sure that what you're really hearing is God's voice. And she said, oh, no, pastor, I can promise you this is the voice of the Father that I'm hearing. And the pastor was, wanted to be sensitive. He didn't want to just shut her down. So he sends her away for a while and says, okay, well, tell you what, just go and, and keep listening and, and if, if this continues on for another week, come back and talk to me. 
So a week later, she shows up and she says, Pastor, it's still happening. I still am hearing God's voice. And he tells me things and I'm hearing things and the pastor thinks, okay, well, I know a quick way to, to end this. And she, he says, calls her by name and he says, here's what I want you to do. The next time that you're talking to the Lord, I want you to ask him what sin I, your pastor, committed so long ago that nobody else knows about. And she looks at him like, what are you talking about? He said, I'll be honest with you, there's something that I did many years ago that nobody else knows about. The Lord's forgiven me of it, but nobody else knows about it. If this is really the Lord, let's find out. And of course, he's thinking to himself, well, this is a quick, easy way for, you know, to prove her wrong. There's no way. So she's, she goes, are you sure you want me to ask that? He says, I'm sure. So she goes back, and a week later, she shows up at his, his office, knocks on the door, he says, come in. And she said, well, I, I, I did what you told me to do. The pastor's like, you did. You went and you're praying. You asked the Lord what sin I committed. And she said, yes, I did. Of course, he's starting to get a little bit nervous now. He's like, uh-oh, what happened? You know? And he said, and did he give you an answer? And the woman said, yes, he answered me when I asked this question. The pastor's beginning to sweat. He says, well, he takes a big breath. He says, well, what did the Lord tell you? And she said, Pastor, I heard it very clearly what the Lord said. The Lord said, I can't remember. I began to think about that. I was like, is that true? According to the Bible, it is. According to the Bible, God forgets the things that he wants to forget. What does God know? Here's an answer. Here's a question for you theologians. What does God know? Don't say everything. Everything he wants to know. Are there, there are some things that God chooses to forget? You bet there are. Once it's under the blood, it's gone from His memory, not to be brought back. So we need to unpack this lie that God hears, but He doesn't care because of the things of the past. Now, unrepentant sin, that's not what I'm talking about. That is a blockage. That does stand in the way. That does hinder God from moving on our behalf. If we have willful, unrepentant sin in our life, of course, we're going we're gonna to keep God from doing what He wants to do. God's not going to push through that. If there's willful sin that's saying, I'm, I'm talking about repentance, I'm talking, stuff that we've already given over to Him. We're, we keep pulling it back. God doesn't. So this idea that He cares, or He hears, but He doesn't care, that, that's, 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 not, that's not reality. That's not who God is. When God hears the cries of His children, He cares all the time, all the way. So what's left? He cares and will answer in his time. I don't, I don't like that one. I don't. I want him to answer in my time, right? I want him to pray. I want, I want to pray and see breakthrough right then and there. Praise God, sometimes we do. That's the amazing thing about, the, the, about where we are in the kingdom. The kingdom is here, but it's not here fully yet. But it is here. It's not here fully yet, but it is here, which means sometimes we can pray, and God does hear, and God does answer right when we ask. He gives us that freedom. He gives us that opportunity to affect change simply because we're asking, but not all the time, not in every case. Sometimes God hears, God is going to answer in his time. So, I love sports movies, especially football movies. Especially, I'm an Indiana boy, 
What, what movie am I thinking of? Come on, come on. Rudy. So, Rudy, if you don't know it, the story of a young, young kid. What's his name? Rudy, of course. Boy, he's like the least qualified football player. But he wants to play for Notre Dame. He wants to be part of the Fighting Irish. He's not good enough, though. He's small, scrawny, not that talented. Grades aren't even good enough to get into Notre Dame. He knows he doesn't have a chance, but he wants to badly. And he makes friends with Father Kavanaugh, who lives there in the area, and talks to Father Kavanaugh and says, this is, this is my dream, this is what I want. And fa- throughout the movie, Father Kavanaugh sort of helps him and coaches him enough not to get into Notre Dame, but to get into Holy Cross, which is kind of like the junior college that's right there, you know? He's like, okay, if you can get into, he says, Rudy, if you can get into Holy Cross, if you can get your grades up enough, you might be able to transfer in to Notre Dame, and then you got a shot of being on the Fighting Irish. It's a long shot, Rudy. You need to know it, but you can try it. So Rudy tries just that. Sure enough, he's able to get into Holy Cross. Sure enough, his grades are suffering, but slowly over the next few semesters, he is pulling his grades up. He's even getting a job to pay for this. And he's applying for Notre Dame. First year, he gets turned down. Second year, applies again, gets turned down. He knows he's running out of chances. In fact, he's got one opportunity left. He's got to transfer in his junior year. He only has one shot left if he's going to be on fighting Irish football. Well, he's despairing one day. And he goes to Father Kavanaugh again. And he says, Father Kavanaugh, maybe I haven't prayed enough. Good Catholic kid. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. Sits down. He says, there has to be something else I can do. Have I done everything I possibly can? Father, can you help me? And Father Kavanaugh's answer, he says, Son, in 35 years of religious study, there are two things that I've learned. First of all is, there's a God. And secondly, I'm not Him. Straight up true. Man, in my 18 years in ministry... I'm just now beginning to learn that. I know the first one, there is a God, but sometimes I think I'm Him. Sometimes I think I know how He should operate and what He should do and when He should answer and how He should come through. And I get angry and I get frustrated when, when He's not. Why doesn't He come through? But God cares and will answer in His time. This God hears, this God cares, this God will answer in His own time. So let's read some more of the story. Verse 8 says this, Once... all it takes doesn't it (laughs) all the years of waiting all it takes is once once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before the Lord he was chosen by lot his name was drawn he pulled the sword of straw whatever it is according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense this is his day he's one of many and this is his time to be in there and he goes in, and if, go, go watch this clip on YouTube. Go watch the first, two, first chapter of Luke on this movie. It's awesome. He's standing here in this huge, just beautiful temple, renovated by Herod, that's just majesty everywhere, and he's got the altar that's full, and he's taking the incense, and he's throwing it into the fire, and the incense, you can just imagine the smell is rising up. And when the time came for the burning of incense, when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Don't miss that either. I told you a couple weeks ago, great things happen during prayer meetings, right? 
So they're all praying outside. Zechariah's inside. I've got to be honest, I don't think Zechariah's expecting much. I think, he's, I think he's devoted. I think he's reverent. He's expecting to, to honor the Lord with worship. He's expecting to honor the Lord, but he's not expecting what's about to happen. So this is what it says. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. That's such an understatement. Come on, gospel writers. Startle is like what happens when you walk around the corner and you're not paying attention and your wife is standing there and you're like, you know, jump. No, that, that's startled. I want to put it, you got to put a different word in here. Come on. He was gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Y'all say, don't be afraid. Come on. Your prayer has been heard. Y'all notice he didn't pray anything in the preceding verses? What prayer are we talking about? He didn't pray anything. Only the same prayers been praying year after year after year after year after year. Probably given up on it. Angel shows up, meets him face to face, knocks his socks off. I've got to be honest with you. I'm thinking if I'm Zechariah, my life is flashing before my eyes. Because we know the story. If you're a priest, you know the story. You know the story of what happens if you approach casually the presence of God. They know the story of Phineas and, 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 and uh, what's her name? I just, it just blanked. Son, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 son, the sons of Eli who are just contemptuous in their approach to worship. Just callous. Struck dead. They know the story of Uzzah who in his, in, his, in, his, in his desire to protect the ark ignored the command of God, reached out, touched the ark, and was struck dead. He, they know these stories. They know what happens if you are in the presence with, and you are unworthy in the presence. So i got to tell you, if I'm Hezekiah, or if I'm Zechariah, I'm thinking to myself, what have I done? I, I'm not going to live to see this. I'm not going to see my wife again. I'm not going to be alive at this encounter. What did I do? Did I not take the right amount of incense? Did I use the wrong hand? Did I come in the wrong way? Was the fire not built right? Did I not say the, the, the right kind of ablutions and, 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 and prayers lifted up? What did I do wrong? He's, he's, he's not just startled. He is flat out terrified. Face to face with this angelic being. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And I think there's going to be two levels. I think there's definitely two levels of fear. That's what this whole thing that we're talking about today is. Of course, there's the fear of, of meeting this angelic presence face to face. That's terrifying in enough of its own. But there's also a deeper fear, I think, that Zechariah is dealing with. This, this, this fear that my prayer, I'm going to die before my prayer is answered. I'm going to die before my need is met. And the angel says, Don't be afraid. Stop. Don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. So can, 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 I, can I say this to you and to me where we are right now? Is it okay to, is it okay to take the words of this angel to, to Zechariah and put ourselves in that place? Don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Whatever things you're praying for, they have been heard. God does care. God does listen. 
God is for you, not against you. God is moving on your behalf in His time. So what can we learn from this? By the way, each of these four characters sort of have these own sort of latent fears. What can we learn? We can learn to fear, to, to, to fear not, to not be afraid when we pray out of a right standing before God. It's important to notice that the role that his character plays, that his heart and his integrity plays in, in, in God coming and ministering to him. He is righteous before God. He is in the right place before God. He is not perfect. He's not a super saint. He is just righteous before God. We can be in that same place too. We can be righteous before God. He and his wife were serving. They're serving. They're trusting. They're obeying. They're, they're being where they need to be season after season. And when we are in that place also, as I know you are, I know you, I know you're there. I know you're in these places of righteousness. We can say, fear be gone. I'm in the right place. I'm where God has called me to be right now. I am serving. I am trusting. I am, I am throwing incense on the fire. God has called me to be here. I don't need to be afraid. This is where I'm supposed to be because I'm in a right standing before God. We can also not be afraid when the odds are against us. Elizabeth was in an impossible situation. But we serve a God of the impossible odds. Don't forget about the odds in your situation. Forget about that. I know it doesn't make sense. We can be, not be afraid whenever time is running out. You know, God, I don't know why, but sometimes God loves to go to 11.59. Drives me crazy. Why can't he back it up a little bit? Why can't you show up at like 10.30? Sometimes in my life, God wants to go until the clock has almost run out. Why does he do that? Because he wants the glory. He wants to make it clear, look easily, you didn't, get, you didn't get yourself out of this. You didn't come through for yourself. I did. When the odds are against you, perfect time to not be afraid. It's like the more stacked against God, the more he wants to show up. Finally this, we cannot be afraid even when the cost is great. And for Zechariah, the price of the answer to his prayer is going to be pretty difficult. Because his son would not really be his own. Biologically, John would be. But it says this. Let's read from Luke 1. Let's skip on a little bit. So this is after, just a, a few moments later, Zechariah wants to praise God. He wants to prophesy. It says this in, in verse 67. He says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has, redeemed, he has come and redeemed his people. Skip over a little bit more to 70, um, 76. And you, my child, is holding up a son, right? Newborn son, John. Just like the angel promised, just like God promised, Elizabeth had a baby. She's like golden wrinkle of a man. She had a baby, right? He holds up this baby that he never thought would be there, that he thought was impossible. He now has a son. All of his dreams are coming true, right? Seems that way. He's thinking about it. It says, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And little baby John grew up to be big man John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the voice in the desert, in the wilderness calling, prepare a way of the Lord. 
Little baby John grew up to be big boy John who baptized his cousin Jesus right there in the water who announced and said, that is the one, that is the one that I've been talking of. He is the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He is the one. I baptize you with water. I baptize you in repentance. He's the one who's coming to baptize you in fire and the Holy Spirit. Look to Him. Follow Him. And little baby, little baby John, the fulfillment of his father's prayers, would grow up, though, to be a martyr to lose his life under the sword of Herod. That's a painful price to pay. That's a great cost to pay. But we can, we can, we, we can, we can abolish fear. We can be fearless when the cost is great. Because we know God's in it. Because we know God's doing amazing things. Because we know God is using our situations for His kingdom and for His glory. We can take our kids and say, God, do awesome things through them. We're going to see it. So we're going to wrap this up. Brian, come on up. Unanswered prayer. Anybody have fears of those? Anybody have fear of, of something that you've just been crying out to the Lord for season after season? If you don't, then you're kind of rare because I think most of us are. Most of us have stuff that we just feel like we have asked the Lord for and it's not come through. Maybe that's a relational thing. A relationship that's broken that needs to be mended. Maybe it's a, a, a relationship that is absent that you want to be fulfilled. Maybe it's um, a financial thing. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's just a, a greater level of seeing God's kingdom in your life. Church, i got to tell you, come on, God hears. He does. Listen to me. He hears and He cares and He's doing it. Isaiah says, the Lord has bared His holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our Lord. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're, we're, a fear, we're a fearful people. I admit it. There are days I am. There are days where I just feel crushed by the fears of the world and by the fears of my own life. Lord, I admit these things to you, Lord. I admit that there are days I'm just... I'm, I'm afraid of the week to come. I'm afraid of the months to come. I'm afraid of 2019. Lord, I feel, Lord, I'm afraid. Sometimes I just feel like everything that I'm holding up in my life is just... Is, is, is just so tenuous, so uncertain that things can be taken away with just one phone call. Things can be taken away just in one moment. Things can be lost so easily. That life is so fragile. So Lord, I, right now I'm choosing. Lord, to hear your words where you say, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard, Lord. I believe that. I claim that this morning. I believe, Lord, that you've heard every single thing that I've lifted up to you in this past season. Every single cry that I've lifted up to you on behalf of myself and the ones that I love and the church that I'm serving. I believe that you have heard every single one of those. And you're moving on my behalf. You will answer in your time.
Father, we pray you just banish fear right now. For those, Lord, facing fear moving into this Christmas season, Lord, minister to them. Encourage them, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Make us fearless. Make us brave. Not artificial, Lord. Not putting on a a facade, a mask. But to be brave in your strength. To be fearless in your strength. Spirit, come and meet your people. We're going to worship and sing again. If anyone needs some prayer, um, David, you're here. Megan, you're here. Chuck, Sasha, pretty much anybody. We can pray over one another. If If you need prayer for anything in particular, healing or provision, anything at all, just you can come up and sit on the front row and we'll have some folks pray together over you. So we'll worship here. Let's stand up together if you would.
separate us now. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name. 